A brave new world is rushing toward the promise of a single global overseer, armed with the well-worn empty promises that the elimination of free enterprise, individuality, and private property will somehow lead to equality and private property, eradication of poverty, and some kind of undefined freedom. What these promises really lead to is an all-powerful government tyranny. That's a quote from the book Sustainable, written by my guest today, who has been among the first and most outspoken opponents of Agenda 2030. I'm Paul Dragu, and this is Freedom is the Cure. Tom DeWeese is the author of Now Tell Me I Was Wrong and Sustainable. He's an expert who speaks on private property rights and personal privacy protections. He has been on guests on numerous shows, and he's been quoted in several publications, including The Wall Street Journal, New York Times, and The Washington Post. He travels the country discussing serious issues plaguing America in the context of Agenda 2030. Tom, welcome to Freedom is a Care. Thanks for having me, Paul. I appreciate it. So, Tom, in your book, Sustainable, you begin by talking about private property rights, and you explain how we have lost the meaning of what they mean, and as well as actual private property rights. Can you begin by discussing that? And we'll use that to segue into what this really means. Sure, absolutely. Um, private property rights is, is very unique to the United States, quite frankly. Uh, I was very privileged a few years ago to meet a gentleman named Hernando de Soto, who is a um, uh, economist out of Peru. And he wrote a book called The Mysteries of Capital, why it works in the, in the West and fails everywhere else. And his whole point in this book is that uh, private property ownership in, in this country, every bit of private property, whether it's land or it's equipment and factories, you know, anything like that is registered. In other words, they can prove it's theirs. And in, in almost every other nation on earth, the uh, people, cannot prove that private property is theirs. That's why they have no private property, but they will begin to live on property and act like it's theirs. He told me a story, but he would always get called to, uh, he would be pressured to meet with leaders of com companies that didn't, or countries that didn't have private property rights. And he would always prepare before the meeting because they would always say to him, our people don't understand private property, and uh, so it doesn't matter in this country. So what he did, and this, he, had, he was telling me he had this meeting with yet another one of these leaders. And before that meeting, he sent a team all around the neighborhoods around the presidential palace and knocked on doors and said, excuse me, do you own this property? And every one of them said, yes. And he said, what proof do you have of that? They would show him receipts. They would show him letters. They would show him different things. He made copies of all of this, came into the office uh, to me have this meeting with this leader, and he, uh, he starts this stuff about property rights don't matter. He said, he puts all those papers in front of him and says, I think you're wrong. Everybody in this city believes they own their property. Now let's talk about how we can make sure that they do own it. And that just shows you around in the world. And the idea that pri private property is the way that the average individual has to earn 
and, and create personal wealth for themselves. Up until private property existed, the only thing that happened with property was uh, roving bands of outlaws would just pillage and take it. And uh, you had no recourse to how to protect it and so forth. And uh, John Locke, who was the uh, main person that uh, influenced our founding fathers, particularly Thomas Jefferson, on the ideas of private property, he advocated that property rights protection you know, did not exist. Uh, if it didn't exist, then there was no incentive for industrious people to try to develop and improve property because it would be destroyed, depriving them of the fruits of their labor because they would just come in and take it, uh, you know, these marauding bands and so forth. And so the protection of private property uh, is the real root. Uh, John Adams said, uh, you know, private property was the most important right that we had. If you didn't have private property, uh, if, how can you declare your other rights, you know, all the, uh, the, the amendments in the Constitution and so forth, you know, the right to own a gun, the right to uh, uh, have freedom of speech and so forth. If you didn't have private property to stand on, you're standing on government-controlled property, and how could you declare those things? So that's why private property is so absolutely valuable to the cause of freedom. You have a quote in your book from Ayn Rand, and if I'm, if not, if I'm not mistaken, this quote is from uh, Capitalism, right, An Ideal Unknown. Um, the quote says, the right to life is a source of all rights, and the right to property is their only implementation. Without property rights, no other rights are possible. Since man has to sustain his life by his own efforts, the man who has no right to the product of his efforts has no means to sustain his life. The man who produces while others dispose of his product is a slave. I think that captures so much of what this is about. How are private property rights endangered in America? We have an absolute assault on private property right now uh, in the cities under uh, the, the uh, label of sustainable development. The, uh, we have the cities being completely revamped under the term of smart growth is one of the programs that they're, they're uh, focusing and putting in place. And uh, what they are working to do is bring people off the rural areas, bring the, the, the people who live out in the suburbs, for example. They have termed that urban sprawl. And because of urban sprawl, then we have all these traffic jams and uh, people are, are living in, not in harmony with the earth. And uh, this all, of course, leads to climate change. And so with smart growth is to bring people into the downtown area, build these massive high rises that you see. And then uh, they, the way they sell it is they tell you, well, you, um, uh, you know, you, you can live right there in the upper floors, the middle floors, you may have offices and so forth to go there. The, the bottom floors will be the stores. You only have to walk or ride your bike to get to the grocery, to go to work. And you won't have to have cars anymore. And, you know, that's the whole the whole argument of, of the smart growth. The the whole thing with sustainable development is, uh, you know, it, it, everything is built uh, built around climate change. That's that's what you hear everywhere you turn. Climate change, climate change, climate change. And if I could just back up here on this a little bit. Throughout history, whenever there were people who wanted to rule the world, whether it was Napoleon or Stalin or Lenin or whoever it would be, what they would do is put armies together and go in and attack 
and uh, kill people and break things and subjugate people. And that's how they took control. These guys we're dealing with today under the guise of climate change and so forth, what they've come up with to rule the world is diabolical. What they've come up with is a plan to get all of us to give up our rights voluntarily out of fear. Fear of what? How many environmentalists have said to me, doesn't matter how many rights you think you have, if you don't have a planet to stand on. Fear, Mm. fear, fear. That's how they've sold all of it. And people are doing that. They are voluntarily giving up their rights all to protect the environment and uh, take it step by step by step. That's what they're doing. Right. Uh, sustainable development. And that's that's the goal of uh, the U.N. through Agenda 2030. Now, uh, just a quick caveat. You have called global warming uh, the greatest hoax perpetrated on humanity. Uh, do you still believe that? Absolutely, I do. You know, it, it, every single study that they came up with, how many 10-year plans do they need? You know, the Soviet Union used five-year plans, mm-hmm. and these guys used 10-year plans. Al Gore started back about 30 years ago telling us all that if we didn't uh, pull everything back and, and, and uh, put all this stuff in place, that the, there were going to be all these islands that were going to be uh, drowning and uh, shorelines and cities were going to be underwater and on and on and on and on. And 10 years later, didn't happen. They make another plan. 10 years from now, if we don't do all this, it's going to happen. None of it has ever happened. None of it. And there are no islands that are drowning. There are no, you know, sometimes there is some natural rise in the water. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are changes in the weather. Uh, my uh, A great scientist on this, his name is Dr. Willie Soon, wrote an article and he, and he entitled it, It's the Sun, Stupid. That was the title of it. And uh, what he meant by that, when the sun has storms on it, uh, that creates more heat on Earth. When the sun is very calm, we go through a a cooling period. At this moment in time, we are going through a cooling period. We are not, there is no indication anywhere of any warming whatsoever but we are seeing cooler temperatures, but they put create all of these scare tactics that we're going to have more storms. We're going to have more hurricanes, more tornadoes, more floods, more, uh, you know, name it. We're going to have it. And then every time we have a storm, they go, see, see, there's what happened. And none of it is true. Well, let me ask you something. Back when I was a reporter, I sat in um, in a DNRC, this is a Montana meeting, and one of the things they were talking about was wildfires, because out in the West, we had lots of wildfires. Uh, and so they had said that, you know, they put out this graph, and they were trying to show this correlation between logging and the prevalence of wildfires. Is that part, does that fit somewhere in this, this scheme? I'm so glad you asked that question. <laughs> what we have happening here the federal government putting together the sustainable programs in every single area of the country. And one of them being the, uh, uh, the land. And, you know, they, they made all this stuff up about how the logging companies were cutting down all the trees. And so they began to control shutting down the logging industry, keeping them so they couldn't cut the trees down and 
That included when the trees die and fall on the ground. You're not allowed to clear that out. Uh, Congresswoman Helen Chenoweth, years ago from Idaho, took a uh, group of congressmen out to the Idaho forest to show them that because of these policies on the floor of the forest, there was 10 feet of kindling. It was so thick, even the small animals couldn't get through it. Oh, that's wow. natural, they said. All of a sudden, across the country, every year we have massive forest fires burning. And that's because of climate change. No, it's not. It's because there's 10 feet of kindling on the floor of the forest and it's burning. Uh, back in 1980, when Mount St. Helens erupted, uh, there was a famous photograph of from Mount St. Helens, coming out from that, there was land that was owned by the federal government and there was land that was owned by the timber industry. And they showed all this devastation, all the trees were down, laying there, so forth. 10 years later, they took another photograph of the exact same thing. And on that federal land, all those dead trees were still laying there, the land was still devastated. And then there's a dividing line of what's forest or what is the forest service, uh, the, the uh, timber company's land, all grown back up, all replanted. They, had, they accused the timber industry of clear cutting all the land and destroying the environment. The truth of the matter is if the timber industry did that, they'd have been out of business the first 10 years they're in business. They cut a section and they move to another section and they replant that section. They are a great steward of the environment. If they weren't, they would be out of business. That is what free enterprise accomplishes. What, what government control accomplishes is devastation. And that's the difference between the two. Well, you had mentioned that uh, this is, the, the goal of this is this one world global tyranny. You have been a voice warning about this since the beginning, since at least what, 1992. And uh, like I watched a video of yours from 2011 and you spent uh, quite a bit time discussing what this was and how this works. Um, and I think you, you somewhat touched on that. Now, one of, the, one of the, the biggest criticisms of those of us who are saying this is happening, this is a real threat, is that Agenda 2030 is a statement of intent and it has no binding power. Can you explain how the goals of Agenda 2030 have and are being implemented and how that happens through soft law and all these other ways that, they, that there is power behind it and, and it's happening? Sure, absolutely. They always say it's just voluntary and the attacks they make against me are always that uh, one of my favorite ones was there are no blue helmeted troops at City Hall. In other words, there's no U.N. troops there and mm -hmm. so forth. It's all a hoax. How can Tom DeWeese be so opposed to something that's just a good suggestion and it's all voluntary on and on and on? Well, first of all, in, uh, uh, you know, they, they, as you mentioned, they, they uh, came out with Agenda 21 in 1992. And again, they said it was all voluntary. The next year, Bill Clinton became president. First thing he did was create the President's Council on Sustainable Development. On that council were uh, representatives of just about every agency of the federal government, leaders of major global corporations, including Enron, by the way, and 
uh, leaders of non-governmental organizations like the Nature Conservancy, the Sierra Club, the Audubon Society, groups that wrote Agenda 21 in the first place. And the goal of the President's Council on Sustainable Development was to take this voluntary idea and make it the law of the land. And the way they did that, those NGO groups helped write grant programs. Then they went in, in, in the grant programs, they had the small print in there. If you if the city takes this grant program, then they are obligated to fulfill everything that it said in there. And they put all the stuff in there that was sustainable programs. Now, after that, they went into the cities, these, these organizations went in ICLEI, Nature Conservancy, Sierra Club, these groups went into the cities, sat down with city councilmen, and, and they had everything all written out. And they said, it's all right here in a box. We got the money for you, too. We got the grant money. You don't even have to think. But here it is right here. And step by step, uh, uh, if, if a city just wanted to get a grant that would help them pave Main Street, for example, uh, my hometown in Ohio has a square uh, in the center of town, a courthouse in the center. It's the center of town. And as you can imagine, underneath there is infrastructure. There are pipes and uh, uh, wires and so forth, 100 years old, need to be replaced. They applied for a grant to do that. They got the grant from the EPA. The all of a sudden, to comply with the grant, not only were they getting the infrastructure fixed, they had to put a roundabout on each of the four corners of the square to take out the traffic lights because that causes global warming sitting at a traffic light. <laughs> this is how it works step by step. Every grant you take, you take this grant, you've got to put bike lanes up on your street. You take this grant, you've, it, it has to do with what kind of building materials you use. They are using, and it says right in the grants, international building codes, international plumbing codes, international electrical codes, all being implemented step by step by step to put these programs in place. And there's no voluntary to it anymore. They've got to comply to the grant. How prevalent is this? Um, I I've, been, I've driven through several roundabouts or whatnot. I, I don't know if they're all part of that, but how prevalent is are these uh, these Agenda 2030 goals in throughout the country? Almost every single community is putting something of this in, in place. The, uh, uh, the uh, Some of the states actually passed regulations that said every community has to put together a comprehensive development plan and uh, to plan for the future, you see. And uh, that's the first step. And nobody and, uh, voted for uh, that, huh? That wasn't yeah, approved by the, by the taxpayers, was it? Yeah, no, no, they voted in legislature. And, and again, these same NGOs, they surround the state legislators, same thing. And uh, they, they tell them, well, we're just putting a good plan together because we don't want chaotic growth of the uh, of the community, as you can imagine, for you know, where are we going to be in our community ten years, twenty years from now? Technology is changing, traffic is getting stronger. We've got to do something to take care of that. That's the argument that they use, and uh, so you know, step by step, they do that. Let me share something with you okay. that um, find it here that I, I think absolutely nails it to it. Uh, talk about chaotic growth. Here's this quote, the chaotic growth of the cities 
will be replaced by a dynamic system of urban settlement. The region is formed by the economic interdependence of its development from the industrial complex to the industrial area and industrial region. The region has a single system of transportation, a centralized administration, and a united system of education and research. Now, does that not sound like the comprehensive development plans we're putting in place? This isn't just city councils. This is school boards, uh, you know, our education system and so forth, a single system of education. This quote was written by a Soviet Russian architect named Alex, uh, uh, Alexei Gutenov in 1964. He wrote that for the, and it was in an article entitled The Ideal Communist City. <laughs> that is smart growth. Well, I was going to ask you like uh, later on, but I, it sounds like this is a good spot to, what kind of uh, people and mindsets are behind this? You you write about that, the, the quotes like that and others that are just scary about how these people look at humanity and the world and, and our role in it. Yeah, well, they, uh, uh, th there's a whole cabal across the world. First of all, at that 1992 Earth Summit in Rio de Janeiro, where Agenda 21 was first introduced, there were 50,000 delegates there. These were, of course, UN uh, uh, people, but they were also these non-governmental organizations and uh, these private organizations, that, uh, envi radical environmental groups that have their own agenda. And uh, to be a non-governmental organization isn't just a title uh, or just a slang thing that we say about them. It is an official uh, uh, appointment through the United Nations that they apply for. And once they get appointed as a non-governmental organization, then they help, they get to work in the background to help write uh, these programs and, uh, and, and things, Agenda 21 or uh, you name it, they, they uh, get a chance to help write all that. And then they, at ICLEI, the International Council for Local Environmental Initiatives, one of the writers of Agenda 21, made it its mission to impose Agenda 21 and sustainable development in every community in the world. And they set out to do that. And cities, we had, uh, at a certain point, we had 650 American cities paying them dues to bring in uh, uh, computer programs, training, newsletters, putting on, uh, sending people to conferences and so forth. And uh, what they, their goal is to make everybody at City Hall think exactly the same way. So the only thing we have to think about is sustainable. Is it sustainable? Is it sustainable? All indoctrinated into that. Mm -hmm. And um, this, is, this is what they do. And uh, you have the American Planning Association that uh, is in almost every community in, uh, in the country. The, uh, they put together this Planning America uh, Perceptions and Priorities, and they, they have another document that they put together that almost every single uh, uh, city is using as their guideline for it. And um, it's, it's amazing that, uh, you know, that you're not to question any of this. You see what's happening right now around the country when you know in the school boards when people are speaking up against the masks and you see what's happening to you know the truckers in ottawa and so forth and speaking out 
this, what you're seeing, how the government is digging in and coming back at them with this violence is exactly the same thing they've done to anybody who goes in and tries to speak to city council about a process that's hurting their own property. And, uh, you know, it's always you're a right wing nut. And, you know, we've talked about the Southern Poverty Law Center and what they do, and, and they go after anybody who speaks out against these things as just being uh, a hate group and don't understand it's just this voluntary idea. It's just a good idea to save our, our communities and save our environment. Well, yeah, I wanted to fill that in because the Southern Poverty Law Center, you said they did a, a few reports on you, but I, I ran across one from 2014 and you were at the top of the list of personalities uh, who, was, who was their biggest, uh, I, I guess, uh, you know, the biggest opponent of Agenda 2030. So we'll, we'll, have, that, we'll have that up for. You had mentioned uh, the sustainable, the indoctrination of sustainable development. I, want, I, I had a question. Does that include, is there an aspect of that in K through 12 ed, public education? Do you know? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. That's that's a major part of it. You ask it. You ask your child after they've been in school for a couple of years about the environment. We've got to protect the environment. Absolutely. Yeah. It's all part of that. It's it's the indoctrination process on that. The uh, what I've deemed it is the education system today is not about academics. It is about uh, attitudes, values and beliefs. And uh, they they changing the children and how you know what their their ideals are and so forth. And uh, I, I, I said that what they're creating in the schools is the perfect global village idiot mm -hmm. so that they will be happy to live in the community that they're creating. And uh, they, you know, they've got to have that because right. those of us who were taught what private property is, what free enterprise is, uh, and what real science is and so forth, we were questioning this. We're looking at it saying, wait a minute. But you get people who don't know any of that and you indoctrinate them to believe a specific way, then that's fact. That's the way they're going to live. You know, now we're living through this COVID hysteria era, and it's uh, devastating and, and some surprising somewhat to me about how many people we have who are advocating for their own subjugation. They have been so cowed into to being so terrified of this thing. And of course, a lot of it is based on lies because you look at the stats, it doesn't merit the 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 fear that is is coming out and they justify it as the fact that this is public health public health somehow trumps freedom so so we grew up there's there's all these generations now who don't know the essence the meaning of freedom and it sounds like they're kind of doing the same thing with the environmental the sustainable movement here is they're saying that uh the environment trumps uh, any is, is the priority. It's the most important thing you should think about. Now, I, I want to do a little sidebar here. We're not against the environment. Like, I, I, I'm not against the environment. I don't think you are. You know, I recycle, to tell you the truth. I, I actually don't litter. Sometimes I pick up stuff when I see it, you know, and so it's like I'm not cool with oil getting in the oceans or whatnot. Uh, but this is, this, like you said, is a hoax. And, uh, and you want to kind of uh, piggyback on that a little bit? Yeah, they, the, uh, all the programs that they're trying to put into place, um, almost all of them, 
Uh, I've jokingly said if environmentalists would come out of their high rises in New York and actually touch the ground, they might know something about the environment. Uh, this they use that as the excuse, but it is uh, I, I can go through a whole pile of environmental programs that are damaging the environment uh, instead of helping it. The uh, I'm looking for a paper here. Um, just hang on. just give us three. How about that? Okay. I, I, I first of all, okay, this is. This is the logo of Agenda 21, basically, mm -hmm. that they use. You'll find this kind of thing used in comprehensive wow. plans and everything else. Social and what equity, they have, wow. these, are all, these are all marked. Social equity, ecological integrity, economic prosperity. We call these the three E's of Agenda 21. Uh, economic prosperity is what they're doing through businesses, putting sustainable development programs through business, and I'll go through that in, in, a, in a minute. The uh, what are we hearing everywhere now in every single conversation on anything is social equity. Mm -hmm. It's part of Agenda 21. Wow. Economic and uh, ecological integrity. That's the excuse for all of it. But if you want to put uh, these programs together, let's take, for example, windmills, the wind farms, uh, the wind turbines. Uh, this is supposed to be the answer. We're going to get rid of fossil fuels. We're not going to have them anymore. We're going to have electric cars. Everything's going to come from that. And also solar panels. And that's going to be our entire source of energy. To this day, all of these that are already established, these massive wind farms, uh, forests of them, produce about 4% of the electricity. They don't produce enough electricity to manufacture themselves. The electricity it took to create a one windmill and so forth. It takes oil to turn it. Uh, one of the things it does is uh, there's, there's one environmental group, uh, one of these NGO groups whose job it is, is to travel around to the base of these wind turbines and clean up the dead birds that are wow. there. They're wiping that. out. Here we talked about all these endangered species, but they don't care about it when it's their program to put into place. When they put together these massive acre upon acre, thousands of acres of solar panels, they're laying there. Underneath, there is earth that everything dies. Nothing is under there. It's dirt. And all of that is taken out of any kind of, of, of a uh, usable way. And what happens when everything is on wind and solar, and we have no other source of, of, of energy, and uh, all the cars are electric, and you're living in these high-rises and smart growth, and uh, you're on the top floor, depending on the elevator to get you to the bottom. First thing you're going to start experiencing, and we've already experienced this in, in certain ways with the COVID thing, is um, there, there will be curfews for electricity use 10 o'clock at night we're going to turn it off no so better be home wait i gotta interrupt you there because i was born in a communist country and you know what they ah. did they did that that's exactly what they did they would turn off the the heat at certain times in the electric that's insane i'm sorry go on <laughs> what choice will they have you won't be able to have a third uh, uh shift on it uh on and you know in factories uh all the uh, places that stay open at night, uh, you know, where you go dancing and go to the movies and all this kind of shut down. And like I said, you're on the top floor. What are you going to do? Yeah. And 
Wow. The electric, they're already in California uh, because of, of their electric shortage they have there. They are already telling people don't uh, power up your electric car. And yet they're trying to turn the entire auto industry into electric power. I had an expert on energy uh, years ago when I first got invited and involved in this who said as an example to me, if you wanted to use wind turbines and solar power just to make up the electric shortage in the state of California, you would need an area the size of Connecticut. And you put all this together, you, you literally, now they've always called us, uh, uh, the attack they make on us is that we wanna pave the earth. What their wind power and their solar power does is they have to put all this infrastructure down. And if you've got an area the size of Connecticut just to feed California, then you have to put down cement, you have to put down wires, infrastructure, you're paving the earth. Every single program these fools come up with is damaging to the environment. It has absolutely nothing to do with protecting the environment. It is about control from the top and in a, in, a, in a global global governance. It's what it is. Earlier on, you had mentioned Enron. Can you explain the partnership of government and, and corporations in this? Because I think we're seeing, we're seeing quite a bit of that going on, especially now during COVID hysteria. They have, you know, we call it public-private partnerships. And you'll hear this term used that, uh, well, that's just good civics. We're all just working together. We're all in this together. A good, you know, partnership. What you find out as you begin looking at this, take a good look. The, the, the whole COVID lockdown was an excellent example of everything we're talking about here, where we're headed. What did they do? We had small businesses that were going out of business by the thousands being shut down over all of this. But who was thriving? Who had the best years of their existence? The big global players. corporations, Amazon, uh, Target, Walmart, all of these had the best year. And, oh, they all comply. They're in partnership, public-private partnerships. These companies get, uh, if they if they get in line, if they get on board with it all. First of all, they were on the President's Council on Sustainable Development, helping to make the rules. They see public-private partnerships and 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 using uh, that as uh, as a means to put their competition out of business. You know, they get they get to go to the head of the class. They get tax breaks. They get the the favorite place in the in a community to put their business. These kind of things. There can be no partnership between government and business in this country. Government's job is to protect businesses' right to to you know compete and and produce. Not in a partnership. A partnership between government and business is right out of Mussolini's fascist playbook. That's what it is. And, uh, that, and, and the result of that is small businesses that can't compete with them are, are, are destroyed. Mom and pop shops, people who put their hopes and their dreams into their little business, all of a sudden find themselves ruled and regulated out of business. What you have, as I mentioned, the NGOs who are surrounding city councilmen and so forth to, to put these things in place, right there partnered with them are representatives of these corporations to uh, do the same thing. And uh, if, if these corporations had stood up from the very beginning and said to Joe Biden, no, 
we are not going to comply with this COVID lockdown. We're not going to make our people wear those masks. We're not going to make them all get these, these uh, vaccines and so forth. It would have died overnight. The reason it continues to go on is because of that partnership. Now, is, uh, is there interest in this is simply, and I'm not sure if it's Dr. Anthony Sutton or someone who quoted him, because he explains the partnership between Wall Street and you know Hitler and the Bolshevik party in the past and whatnot. Is there interest in this simply because they are so massive now, they just want a monopoly on the market? Is that what it is? There's definitely part of that. They see themselves as part of the government. Uh, now you get into the Great Reset and uh, Klaus Schwab, who put together this COVID-19, The Great Reset, the book, this, mm -hmm. this, you know, it's a best-selling book. And he said in that, you know, one of the famous lines out of the book is, uh, no one will own anything and be happier for it. Yeah, yeah. Go back to private property, go back to everything else. Well, one of the things that's happening in there is that um, they're, they're looking at Wall Street and they're making rules there. The, it's, it's the attitude of the people there who are investing that if it does, if, if a company cannot prove itself to be sustainable, putting sustainable programs in the way it produces its products or a way it runs its business, they will not be invested in. Now you're seeing, this is why you're seeing the auto industry all run to electric cars. We're sustainable. So you can invest in us. Uh, one of the, one of the, most incredible examples of this is one of the major um, uh, brands of toilet paper. If you go in the grocery now, you will see on the packaging that it says right on there, for every tree cut down to make this product, three are planted. We're sustainable. Mm. You know, everywhere you turn, sustainable, sustainable. The, the, the beef industry in America is being destroyed. It, it, it has to be shocking for people to understand that the World Wildlife Fund, the largest environmental group in the world, the number one NGO organization, and a major opponent of beef consumption. They've said to save the planet, we've got to stop beef consumption. The World Wildlife Fund is now basically in control of the American beef industry. They put together the Global Sustainable Beef Roundtable and the National uh, uh, Cattlemen's Beef Association, which is the largest representative of the beef industry, is part of that council, that roundtable, and they're helping put these things in place. I went on the attack against them, exposing this, and the vice president of the NCBA put out the most pathetic piece of you know, this article that I have ever read in my life. The title is Why Sustainable? And he uses the argument that the, the consumers are now more educated and more concerned about where their food comes from. And for us to have a seat at this table with these organizations that are very wealthy, very powerful, and very knowledgeable in all this, uh, this gives us a seat at the table so our side can be heard too. That's why we're part of this. I said to the New Mexico Cattlemen's Association, the cattlemen of the past that I was aware of didn't sit down at a table and get a voice. They went in and kicked the table over and said, get out. And meanwhile, their industry is being destroyed by people mm -hmm. who believe that they are criminals for raising the beef. And this is sustainable beef. 
you mentioned the Great Reset. I want to mention a few um, issues that are very, very important for people today. And tell me if there's some aspect of Agenda 2030 that fits in. Gas prices. Absolutely. The uh, I've always kind of joked that it's a it's a sustainable dream to get you know to get eight dollars a gallon for gas. The higher gas prices go, the less people drive. It's just an f- economic fact, mm-hmm. and uh, that is their goal. They are deliberately driving up the prices to get you out of your car and to accept all of their 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 smart growth programs and so forth. And uh, so there's there's no question about it that the higher gas prices are done deliberately. Even before we had uh, the whole COVID lockdown and so forth and, and all the uh, inflation that's taking place right now, you had communities or, or states, state legislatures passing more and more gas tax prices. As gas prices were beginning to come down because of fracking, because of other things we were doing, we became completely independent in our, in our uh, uh, energy needs. And as those gas prices were coming down, they were t- raising the taxes to keep those prices up. We were actually exporting oil, I think, there at the end, uh, the final years of the Trump administration. And uh, sure. we stopped doing it right away. I mean, Biden gets in and he signs those executive orders uh, banning uh, uh, drilling on federal lands and water. So uh, that's not hard to see. I, I still yeah, find that's, it. That's all part of it. It's all part. These non-governmental organizations are deeply embedded in the Biden administration and in the Congress. And, uh, you know, they saw this. They jumped for joy when he got in there and putting all these things in place. They are systematically putting together the entire global agenda, all based on the fear of climate change. And one other thing I want to mention about the, the Great Reset the the reason that they're calling it the great reset here here's what took place we were starting to win the battle on explaining to people that climate change was not a threat and that take that fear away and 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 the example for that is as different people as different organizations began to uh, ask in polls what are the most important issues that you're concerned about and uh, people would list different issues if climate change was on the list, it was last. In most cases, it wasn't on there at all. They were losing their power. They had come up with a plan, this diabolical plan to get us to give up our independence, our, our liberties, our national sovereignty, everything else in the name of climate change, and they were losing it. They come up with the whole COVID pandemic in one day. With, when the lockdown started with that, they literally put together, put in place almost all the programs that they wanted to have control, government controlling the entire economy, at least for a temporary, at least for a day. They achieved that with the lockdowns. And now what Klaus Schwab said about uh, the, the Great Reset, he said, this uh, we're ne- the, the, whole, the book he put together called COVID-19, The Great Reset, and he, and he said, this book is about what we learned during the great COVID lockdown about how we should properly run a country. Well, what's interesting about that is the lockdown started in March of 2020, and his book was on the shelves in August of 2020. Now, I've written three books, and I know to write a book, first of all, you can come up with a concept. Then you actually have to research it. Then you have to write it. Then you have to get a publisher and get it out on the shelves, get it printed and out on the shelves. You got to be a Superman to get that out in five months or you're a liar. It was put together ahead of time. Yeah, always everything. And you read that it is the script 
for exactly where they want everything to go. What about border chaos, the illegal immigration problem that we have? Well, one of the main tenets of Agenda 21 in globalism is to eliminate sovereign countries. And, uh, you know, think back as, as they started all this stuff and uh, we had communist countries, we had countries with kings and potentates and so forth, you know, running them. There was one country that was based on the idea that government was to was actually to be controlled by the people. And it was its job was to protect our liberties. And one sovereign nation stood there, the United States. And so they have to change our culture. They have to change our makeup of how we're made and absolutely flooding our borders with people who have no concept of any of the ideals of America and uh, come from countries that, that lived in these dictatorships and so forth. And uh, plus who else is coming over, who knows? Yeah. And uh, all of that is made to change our culture. All of this is made to change our ideals. Look what they say about us Every time we try to speak out, the uh, in fact, get this. This is uh, this came out just the other day. Uh, the you know the Canadian National News Network CBC. They did a piece uh, on their paper, and they said a certain term that has taken hold among protesters who are part of the freedom convoy. There's a certain term. What is that term? Freedom. Freedom is a slippery concept. It's uh, this, this woman uh, who wrote a book called Ugly Freedoms says, on the far right, individual freedom is often translated into somebody who refuses to be bound by norms of equality, treating all people equally, or norms to remedy inequality, uh, whether that's trying to remedy racial discrimination or gender discrimination. And this, this is the horror of, of the convoy there. And it went on, to, the article concluded by stating the surprising rise of people calling for freedom over the social good of Canada. Well, that, the unfortunately, that's not surprising. They've gone full board authoritarian there. And it's, it's, it's sad. The last one I want to uh, ask you about before we go into some of these victories, because you've been criticized before for, for talking too much about the doom and gloom and not, <laughs> not talking about the, the victories and what people can do. But how do vaccines fit into this, this, these mandatory vaccines? Well, it all depends on what you believe is the science in them. And I've, I've got a file two inches thick that I've been collecting on reports from uh, doctors, including even a, a guy, you know, worked for Pfizer, who, uh, you know, is sounding the alarm and so forth. Uh, it is my belief that this vaccine is not designed to get rid of a disease, but it is designed to change your DNA. Uh, and it might even be designed as a tool to reduce the human population. And it, it's interesting because the over all the years that I've talked about Agenda 21, I, I knew that one of the main tenets of it was to reduce populations. Uh, in fact, uh, the, the globalists have actually accepted the, the, the uh, population of 1 billion as being acceptable environmentally you mm. know, for the earth. Well, that means 7 billion. Seven. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, uh, 
I never talked about that much because I had enough trouble getting people to listen to me about the threats on their property. And I thought if I started talking about this, I'd really sound nuts. What I find really interesting here is that uh, population depopulation has become one, the leading thing that now that they're dealing with. And I fear that the COVID vaccine is connected to that. You're seeing people drop dead after getting the shot. Uh, you know, they're having heart uh, attacks, they're having uh, blood clots, things like this. And uh, some reports I've read saying the, the most people who have been buried have been people who had the vaccine. So, you know, yeah. that's a concern. I, I can't, you know, I'm not a scientist, can't prove it. But then again, neither is Al Gore or Bill Gates. So, you know. <laughs> right. But, yeah, that, that's interesting because Bill Gates is always, he's, a, he's obviously a huge, huge vaccine pusher. And he talks like an expert on vaccines. And I'm like, you know, Last time I checked, Bill Gates was uh, he was a computer guy. He was a you know programmer, whatever it is that you know he did vaccines. Anyway, so let's go into again. You've been doing this what is it three decades now? Uh, you've been getting the word out. You've been and you actually do a lot of work to help communities uh, figure out the buzzwords and whatnot, and to figure out what's going on. Can you talk about some of some of the victories around in communities uh, again in that SPLC? I think that SPLC report is probably one of your, your uh, the best ways to brag. I mean, they talk about all these counties and areas where, you know, the commission uh, kicked them out. You know, they stopped paying dues. Uh, they fired people. They, you know. So can you go into that a little bit? Because this is not hopeless. I think people need to understand that. Absolutely, it's not. And I, I, I will start by saying I have never been more energized than I am today because I am seeing finally more people getting it. I, you wouldn't believe how many people contact me saying, how'd you know, how'd you know, you know all this. Um, the, what you were mentioning uh, back about, I don't know how long ago it was now, maybe seven or eight years ago, we targeted ICLE, the International Council for Global Environmental Initiatives or local environmental initiatives. And uh, as I said, 650 American cities were paying them dues. Mm -hmm. And we started to target them. And uh, they, um, uh, people, cities started to rescind their memberships, yeah. started to kick them out as we began to get the, the, the truth out about them. And uh, the, the last I heard, I lost count of how many it got. I, I, we got up to 150 cities that had rescinded their membership. And from that point, I lost count. So many came, came in and it kept growing. The, the funny story, I think maybe I related this to you before, um, a, a good friend of mine who goes to all of these international meetings and does fantastic work there, uh, you know, exposing what they're doing and so forth. But he's got a very dry sense of humor. And he just deliberately sought out in one of these meetings the head of ICLE USA, who was there, and befriended him and to the point that every time my friend would walk into a room and this guy would see him, he'd say, come on over, join us at our table. You know? <laughs> so at one point during the conversation, he just looked at him and he said, what do you think about these people that are targeting you, ICLE? And he said, oh, my gosh, we're terrified of those people. We can't, we can't stop them. We can't get other cities to join us because of that. And he immediately emailed me and told me that story. So that's a victory. That's what we can do when we stand up and begin to expose these people. 
So how do people get 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 started? What you know, it's there uh, here at the John Birch Society. We have an action project, but I also I want to give you a chance. Uh, people, you know, they're listening, they're watching and they're like, man, what do I do? Where do I start? Uh, what, what do you suggest? How did how do they start to bring awareness to this and, and get this out of their communities if it's already there? One of, one of the first things that um, it, it's hard to get people to uh, accept, they look at all this coming from the federal government. And yeah, it, the federal government is massive. Uh, you can't start a petition campaign and get Nancy Pelosi to say, oh, golly, I guess we have to stop all this because he's, people sent me a million petitions. That isn't going to work. And it, it just seems so hopeless to so many people that we can do anything about it. But uh, after do working on this for all these years, one thing that I know <laughs> is that the other side understands it's the local community where they put this in place. That's what they targeted. That's why your city councilmen are surrounded by these NGOs and uh, and putting all these things in place. And that is why they are so uh, vehemently attacking us whenever any of our people show up to speak out because they're terrified of us. Understand everything that you're seeing across the, the globe, uh, in this country, whatever, uh, from the other side, they they control the news media. They control major parts of Congress. Uh, you know, it looks like they're a massive, massive force. They're not. They're really a minority, and they're terrified of us. Terrified of us even learning that fact. And so, fighting back on the local level, uh, the, I I coined it uh, creating a freedom pod in your own community. The idea is don't worry about what happens in the next community or the next one. Look at your community. And uh, there are, we've got uh, and we've put together this manual, this activist handbook, uh, how to fight back in your local community. And the first half of this is our, our details and tools. The second half are, is a lot of background information so you know what you're talking about. Where, where can people and, get that uh, manual, Tom? That's at our website, AmericanPolicy.org. Okay. And uh, we have a lot of tools there. My book, Sustainable, that you have sitting there is, is on there. And we have a huge archive of uh, articles on all these issues that you can use and, and, and go into. So that's the, that's the first thing. But um, what we're teaching people to do, you don't need to have thousands of people to stand up and fight back. In fact, if you have a good solid 25 or so, you're in good shape and uh, you begin to organize. And the first thing you have to do, you got to know your enemy. You got to know who you're up mm -hmm. against, what you're, what, what you're, what the whole uh, thing is you're fighting. Everybody's got their own issues, what they want to go after. So I'm not going to say what issue. I mean, I, I focused on property rights because I learned uh, over the years that to put sustainable development in place, there is a bit of kryptonite in there that is a death knell to it. Right. That kryptonite is private property ownership. They cannot implement sustainable development without destroying right. private property. That's why I went after that. But I'm also extremely concerned about the education system. And uh, I mean, if we can't get control of that, uh, they're pumping out, as I said, these little global village idiots who are never going to listen. That They don't even know these rights exist. Right. And uh, so well, everything we're working on works on the school board as well. Tom, thank you so much for, for all that. We're going to have to get you back in here, man, because I, I feel like we got so much more uh, to cover. 
And so thank you for, for, for that, for, for joining us. And uh, we'll have links for, for, your, um, for your organization where people can learn how to get started. Uh, you know, they can get your book and whatnot. And we'll have links to our projects as well. So thank you for joining us, I appreciate us, it. Thank you. Appreciate it. Well, the people working to relieve you of your rights are serious about their agenda. And you should be serious about stopping them. All Americans need to be informed about Agenda 2030 and defeat it in our communities. So help others to learn about the globalist threat and heed Tom's great suggestion for activism. Again, we have links in the... You can also check out the JBS Agenda 2030 Action Project for more information. And lastly, Tom is also on the JBS Speakers Bureau roster, which means you can schedule to have him visit your community to discuss this vital topic. Check out the link below for more on that. And remember that whatever ails society, freedom is the cure.